Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Golden Generation podcast. In Harper's seat today is myself, Gerald Lynch. He's had to step out. So I'm uh, taking the reins for today. Maybe my voice isn't as soothing to listen to, but hopefully I can do a good enough job. We're joined today by the regular panelists, Tom William, Lucas Ronaldo, and Patrick Braschetto. Lads, how are we? I'm very well, Gerald. Great to be here. It's uh it's been a day, hasn't it, lads? I mean, as a Socceroos fan, we were up up early last night, up this morning, waiting for the announcements. There was leaks going on all day, like you didn't know what you could believe, but the squad came out. Overall, Tom, how do you feel about the squad that we got today? Look, I'm actually pretty buzzing about it. I think it could have been a lot worse. So um that's that's what I'm I'm really happy about. I'm I'm glad on pretty much all of the main selections. So we've seen Garang Qual, he's he's selected. Um, Jason Cummings selected. Um, we've seen Harry Sutar and Kai Rolls, two players under injury clouds that a lot of us thought might not be able to get up, um, both selected. So a lot of the things that I care about and I think are important um, eventuated, which was good. I would have liked to have seen Christian Volpato in the squad, but I, as sort of... It has been brewing for the past week or so, and courtesy of my interview with the the one and only Tony Bashel, um, it became pretty clear that he wasn't going to get selected in this squad. So, um, <laughs> so that wasn't exactly surprising to see, as much as um, I would have liked it to happen. Pat, how how about you? How do you feel about it all? Um, yeah, I mean, look, lots of the big journalists were talking about, you know dropping hints about bombshells and massive selections. And whilst, look, there's... Like Neil Simons, big journalist Neil Simons. Neil Simons (laughs) dropping bombshells about dropping bombshells. But, um, (laughs) look, I think obviously we'll get into some of the specific ones in a moment, but I think it wasn't really as earth-shattering as a lot of us were thinking, really. I mean, overall, there's really not too many complaints in that squad. I think a lot of the players there... A few of them maybe aren't playing as much as we'd like, but I think the, the problem is that we've just got so many players that aren't playing regularly that at the end of the day, we're just going to have to pick players that maybe aren't fully match fit, that maybe haven't been getting as much ma- many match minutes as we'd like. But I'm really – there's not too many complaints from me at that squad. I think it's similar to what we've seen throughout the whole qualifying campaign. Graham Arnold's shown a lot of – um loyalty to those players. And I think maybe a reason behind that is just because they have so little time in camp. I think what they're going to start heading over there this week and the first game's about a week later. So I think in a way, as much as maybe it's frustrated some people, I understand in a way why maybe he's kept with that group that were in those um, intercontinental playoffs sometime. I know you're in the press conference. Did he mention, did Arnold mention anything about that in his press conference? Yeah, he, he, he did. Um, he also he made it very clear about the importance of players getting minutes. So a lot of, like, the press conference went for ages. It was like 40 minutes. It was easily the longest one I've ever seen. And a lot of the questions were really sort of inconsequential players about, uh, inconsequential play, in questions about why individual players weren't selected. Um, so we're hearing, why wasn't um, Davidson selected? Why wasn't uh, Metcalf selected? Why wasn't Genre selected? Why wasn't Target selected? We're, we're getting this from like seven different journos, right? Because you've got journalos from every different source. It was like Clint Stanaway was there from like bloody nine news. First time I've ever seen him anywhere near a Socceroos press conference. And like you get all the Fox Sports guys, you get all these different guys that are all asking different questions because they're coming from different points of view. Um, so he spoke about the importance of match minutes primarily. But I think 
particularly what you were saying there, Pat, is for some players you actually have to make the exception about match minutes. So, for example, Harry Sutar, he's such a transformative player for this Socceroos team, and I think people don't really give enough credence to how much of a difference he made to the team. Like, as soon as he went down against Saudi Arabia, the team changed. We lost that game against China. We struggled a lot more in the qualifying. Before that, we were flying, really. Like, we are doing a really good job in qualifying. Um, even in the Saudi game, we were really good that, that game at home before Suta got, um, got injured and they started to get on top even in that game. So making an exception for him is no real worry. And you've seen there's some players he hasn't made an exception for. Trent Sainsbury, for example, hasn't had enough match minutes. Um, Tom Rogic, for example, hasn't had enough match minutes. And he made it very clear that Rogic's decision to um, to drop out of the squad for the games against Peru and UAE had no effect on him being selected in this squad. It was down to the match minutes. He was always going to say that, though. He's not going to come out and say, <laughs> oh, he's, he's not going to throw him us. But to be honest, you, you can see where he's coming from, though. If he's picking two players for every position, I think it's – sort of fair to say with Frustic obviously shoe in there um, if he's fully fit, it comes down to him or Riley McGree. And Riley McGree is the one playing at Middlesbrough. Um, so I think it's it, it sort of makes sense in, in that in that sort of way. Um, so the first one, obviously, we'll, we're going to get into the specifics of a lot of the decisions that were made. The first one dropped late last night was really took Twitter by storm um, at around what was 11 o'clock last night. Uh, it was the news that Langerak wasn't going to be included despite coming out of retirement and they'd gone with Vukovic instead. Um, look, it was a, it was a big decision. Pat, what did you uh, think about that? Yeah, I think like everyone, I was pretty surprised by it and that it came out so early. Look, we know that Langerak is an absolutely fantastic keeper and unlike a lot of players in that squad, he's getting regular minutes. He's, he had a career for quite a few years. He was over in Europe and he's carved out a great career for himself in Japan. Obviously, the big story was in the friendlies against New Zealand, he came out of retirement, but then for whatever reason, uh, Graham Arnold chose not to play him and we're all a bit confused at the time, but I think we all assume that he'd still be picked for the World Cup. So for Arnold to turn around and um not pick him was... A really big surprise, and I think for Mitch Langer, I feel quite hard done by, especially as um you know Matt Ryan very well documented he struggled for games after initial spurt of game time at um FC Copenhagen. He's struggled for game time again, and I mean we could get into a bit of a discussion over who should be number one or not. Personally, I think Matt Ryan, regardless of who is number two and three, should be the number one keeper anyway, just because even without even in the lack of game time, he's still been one of our best players. But um. Yeah, the Langerak, Langerak situation is a bit weird. Uh, Graham Art on the press conference, he strongly alluded that John Crawler, the goalkeeping coach, had a really big part to say in that decision. Obviously, he's worked very closely with um, Andrew Redmayne, both at Sydney FC and in the Socceroos. And I think Vukovic was also in the uh, camp again for those intercontinental playoffs. So I think, obviously, the fact that the those three keepers have been together so much, that must have played a really big part for... Graham Arnold, but yeah, I'm pretty surprised, and that that that's probably the one call I think that everyone in Australian football circles probably agree is a really a stiff one. Yeah, it, it, it was. You feel for Langerak a little bit, but I guess there's so much going on with the World Cup squad that like we almost don't have time to like be upset about this. It's like the the likelihood of him playing 
um, is so low. Tom, did you feel similar similarly about this, or are you a bit less caring? Look, I think it's largely inconsequential. And I'll let Lucas come in here because I feel like Lucas is just the mouse in the corner for the first. I'm waiting. It's been eight, eight minutes fifty seconds. I haven't said a word. I've got a joke I want to get. So I'll, I'll make it quick. But um, but look, my view on this is he's a he's going to be. It's a tough one because I think on merit, Langrak deserves to be in the squad. Right? Um, he absolutely does. So I, I I would obviously have him in the squad, but I understand where Graham Arnold's coming from. I think the weird thing for me, though, is um, some of the chatter about Redmayne and and whether he deserves to be in the squad. I think you've got to have Redmayne there as the third-choice keeper, even just taking aside the stuff that he did against Peru. Yeah, he, he did an awesome job winning us the, the penalty shootout, getting us to the World Cup. But he's obviously incredible at saving pens, right? Um, so imagine imagine we're playing France, okay? Imagine it's, it's the last minute. France have a penalty. The score's one all, and and we've got an extra sub there. Like you're bringing on Redmayne, aren't you? Like just for that ten percent increase. If that was a circumstance, and you've got to plan for these, right? You've got to plan for these circumstances. Imagine if we somehow make it out of the group, um, and it goes to a penalty shootout. We want to sub on Redmayne, so I think his spot spot in, in the squad is based on merit. But I do think Langerak deserved to be the third keeper there. Um, and be the one there probably instead of Vukovic just because his form has been absolutely incredible. And I think there's, there is an argument. I, I would probably just disagree with the argument, but there is definitely an argument there that he should be competing with Matt Ryan for the number one spot. Yeah, good point. Lucas, we'll go to you. Tom said he was going to be quick, but in true Tom fashion, that was <laughs> long-winded again. Uh, Lucas, what's your thoughts on it all? Um, I think this is definitely the most obviously wrong decision um, out of a lot. I, more than anything, I just think it's incredibly offensive um, and it's almost it almost embarrasses Langerak to call him out of retirement, to publicly say you're coming out of retirement, putting him in a squad, not giving him a go and then not calling him up for the World Cup. Like you guys were touching on before, but if we feel sorry for him, you can't not because it's basically just publicly – he, he was retired. There was no reason to call him out of retirement. If you'd, And then since then, the circumstances have changed more in his favour. Matt Ryan's now got an injury. And you can't say that in this situation that he, oh, well, he might not play. Well, he also might. If, if we're just selecting goalkeepers based on, oh, yeah, they bring good vibes, then let's get a comedian in there to c- tell knock-knock jokes while Matt Ryan goes in goal and we have no ch- no chance of a backup goalkeeper. So I think at the end of the day, Matt Ryan's the starting goalkeeper and he's the captain. He's going to play. Um, but I think it's just harsh on Langerak. And at the end of the day, I, I agree, Redmayne, you got to pick him because he, what, he got us there. Um, but Vukovic, a 37-year-old, if you're going to not select Langerak, then you could select Joe Gauci, give him a chance to to grow and have a chance at being in a World Cup squad. Mark Birigidi, I know he's been in and out at at, uh, at Dundee, but he has shown that he's a better goalkeeper, I believe, than, than Redmayne. So um, I don't know. To sum it up, I'd say I've not been this surprised at a selection decision since Gerald Lynch was chosen to host this podcast over Harper. <laughs> that is, well, that's a, a cross shot that I wasn't expecting to receive this early on. But um, yeah. Sorry, can I, can I just bump in there? If we're going on um, 
on absolutely offensive decisions here. And I'm looking at this through my victory glasses, but how on earth was Joel King selected ahead of Jason Davidson? Like how on earth? Like Joel King, to put it in perspective, he's barely been getting minutes for a very average side in Denmark. Jason Davidson has been starting. He started four or twelve out of fourteen games this season for Oipen in multiple positions, showing his versatility. He's played the left of a three in a back three. He's played left wing back. He's played left back. He's even played a couple of games in midfield. How on earth is he not in the squad, especially when you consider? the way that Arnold's been using his fullbacks in terms of playing them more inside. I just think that is an absolutely insane decision. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. I obviously don't have victory glasses on like Tom, but I think that was probably the one other decision that was very much contentious. And I looked at that with um, a lot of real surprise because, again, he's playing in a very good team. I'm not sure where Erpen are in the table, but playing the top league in Belgium where they've just had a team qualify for them. Round of 16, the Champions League, you'd think that he'd be a shoo-in. But again, it just suggests that um, Arnold's got, in a way, uh, like every coach to an extent, but I guess obviously Arnold's a bit of a polarising figure, but Arnold's got his boys and he's just, he obviously trusts these sorts of people to do the job. But yeah, I think Davidson really could have added a lot to this team. So I really hope we don't live to regret that, especially if Bayage gets injured. It's disappointing, I think, especially when he spoke so much about wanting to give reward players who are getting minutes and then he picks Joel King sort of off the back of, I don't know what basis. It was very interesting. And we'll get into the whole defense now. Um, I think the most notable omission besides Davidson, probably the most notably the way it was Trent Sainsbury. So he mm. is out um, mm. off the back of maybe not much game time. You know, he was down with Melbourne City doing some training because I believe his season ends a little bit early. Um, and he hasn't, in the end, done enough to get the call up. Lucas, we'll go straight back to you, so you better be ready. Um, what's your thoughts on the Sainsbury uh, omission? Well, one thing it does do for Arnie is disproves the whole jobs for the boys argument that we were just debating before. <laughs> going to be an awkward family dinner next week, I'd say. Um, his son-in-law, Trent Sainsbury, not being there. Um I'm a big fan of Trent Sainsbury, but he has been poor for the Socceroos in recent times. The only thing I would say is the idea of playing Sutar and Rolls together, which in my opinion is probably our first choice starting central defensive partnership now, does scare me considering they've both been injured recently. Um, Deng, I think, is in for his ability to play right back. Um, one guy who we might not touch on as much is, is Ryan Strain. I would have liked to see him go. Again, that's probably a South Australian um, <laughs> rose-tinted uh, glasses there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm... I think it's it's a ballsy decision, um, but you can't you can't criticise it. I don't think too much because at the end of the day, this is Arnie's squad through and through, and to not pick his own son-in-law is is a very ballsy decision on his part. I'm very interested to see what he does with with the defence. Of course, you got Degenek there as well, um, but he's he's starting two. I think in an ideal world, probably would be Sutar and Rolls. I think you're right. That, that sort of the the ones that everyone wants to Sutar and Rouse, but the fact that they're you know injured and everything would maybe suggest that it maybe would only take one of them. Um, but the fact that they're both in is is interesting. And I guess it's this is the World Cup. You've got to take those gambles. Pat, did did you uh, what did you think of taking those two guys over Sainsbury? Went knowing that Sainsbury probably fully fit. 
Sorry, Tom Williams has just actually got a call up. That's why he's on on the phone, by the way. Well, good luck to Tom. Hope he uh, enjoys the trip to Qatar. But um, back to the question you asked there, I I agree with bringing Sutan roles. I mean, yeah, look, Sutan especially, I think he's only just getting – it's his first games in nearly a year, but it's a World Cup. You know, you take – the best players, even if they've got a bit of an injury cloud over them, you can't you, you you can't just pussyfoot around it like that. You you've just got to have the faith that they're that they're going to be fit enough to do it. That you've got the medical team around to um get them fit and um and look, he has mitigated for that. He's he's put five centre backs in the squad, which um you know probably maybe one more than squads would usually take. But um I. I think Kai Rolls, I was reading some stuff earlier in the week and I think there there was some positive news about his injury. It's not as serious as they thought and he's actually getting back to full training and back to full fitness. We'll so hopefully on, on the weekend, yeah. Yeah, yeah so hopefully he'll, I, I have a feeling that he'll definitely be a lock for the first game against France. And look, we obviously hope that Harry Sutar can um, start alongside him to quell Mbappe, Dembélé and all the other brilliant French players out there. But... um. I think it's more interesting who who will start in place of them. Who's that third choice centre back that is highly likely to come in if either of those players get injured? And I think it's a bit of a shootout between um Bailey Wright and Milos Degenet because they both. I think Bailey Wright surprised a lot of people. Actually, had quite a solid game in that uh, against Peru, but he's not playing as much I think as he was last season at Sunderland. Whereas Milos Degenet has had a solid season in the. MLS, so you kind of think it's a bit of a shootout between them for that third spot and potentially getting a start if either player is not fit. So it's going to be interesting to see if the two first-choice centre-backs can be fit. We obviously all hope they are, but then it'll be interesting to see what Arnold opts for if they aren't. Well, I think with with Wright, is he's actually been playing a decent amount, but the problem is now we're actually looking just if players are playing. Also, I can't believe that now that Tom's back, I can't believe I just witnessed a man take a phone call in the middle of the podcast. So that was one of the most <laughs> obscene things I've ever seen. Um, but that's a yellow card offense. Yellow card offense. But uh, when we're not looking if players are playing well, we're just looking at players are playing. He made a pretty costly mm. error on the weekend for Sunderland, so we're not even worrying. Oh, are they playing well? He's playing, so that's fine, um, which says a lot about us at the moment, and he's probably the reason he's there. Um, but I'd probably say I'm on a whole agree with the with the five centre backs that have been chosen. Yeah, so sorry, I'll just bump in there. Um, thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming this probably hasn't been said yet, but I think um, another thing that Arnold brought up at the press conference today was that the way that he's manufactured this squad is that it gives him versatility, and he spoke about the possibilities of defending in different formations. So we're, we're used to seeing the soccer as defend in a 4-4-2. He said that, we could also defend in a four-five-one, and he said that we could also defend in a five-four-one. Um, so, <laughs> that trial against France—that's what you want to do. <laughs> um, so, so uh, given that we've got five centre backs, um, I actually think, and a, a lot of people won't be happy with this, but I think there's, and he even said a five-three-two is possible as well. So. Um, I think there's a decent chance that we could play five at the back in one of the games just, just because of how that many ma- That would make the have. Davidson call even worse too. Yeah, Craig Goodwin left wing back. 
That could that if that happens, I will be so so happy. It will be ridiculous. No, no. The Craig Goodwin at left back shout is the ultimate football hipster shout ever. It is like no, it's the ultimate. I haven't watched. It's the ultimate. I haven't watched Adelaide United play ever because he hasn't played Craig Goodwin. Craig Goodwin is the most form player in our entire squad, and he hasn't played left back for about five years since he was playing in the bloody Netherlands, and he's been to three different continents since then. I can't believe anyone even suggests that. It's like it's like suggesting that bloody Wales should put Bale at left back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but genuinely, though, if you because we've got all these good centre backs, like and I know a lot of them aren't in the greatest of form, but like if we look at it, like centre backs, one of our best areas of the squad, I reckon. If everyone's fit and in form, like Rolls and Sutar are miles better than most players in every other position in our squad relative to that that position, of course. Um, And then you add, say, Thomas Deng at right centre-back, who'd be pretty good in that role, I reckon, um, given that he um, he actually actually described Thomas Deng as, like he said he picked um, four and a half centre-backs. So he said he Mm. picked four centre-backs plus Thomas Deng, who's also capable of playing right back. He said he's picked four and a half centre-backs. So he, I guess, he would be pretty decent at playing that right side of a three or or, or five, if you want to call it that. And then Atkin- it suits Atkinson as well because he can play right wing back. Um, same with Bayich. So there's there's actual scope to do that because of how many centre-backs he's picked. Um, and I guess even then, you could play with like split strikers. You could play with Leckie and Boyle up top and then not have to play an actual number nine because all of our number nines... Well, I mean, it doesn't. it means we wouldn't have to start Duke because like <laughs> ideally we'd, we'd start Cummings, but I don't think that's going to happen. So... Yeah, I, I would I would watch out for that one. I think <laughs> before the fume inevitably happens against France when we roll up with a nine-one-one formation. <laughs> it's um, it's I don't know if the World Cup and especially when you're opening against France is the time to move the magnets around. But look, it, you're gonna if he's gonna go out uh, go out firing, then that's I'd be happy to see that. Um, the right backs that were selected, we got well technically Thomas Dang, and then we got Nathaniel Atkinson and uh, Fran Karacic. Fran Karacic, of course. So um, Ryan Strain was left out, Lucas, as you alluded to earlier. Um, but are we overall pretty happy with with I suppose the ones that we did get selected? Like I feel like that was that might have been the the ones that everyone assumed would be selected. I do not yeah, rate Karacic at all, to be honest. I think. Yeah. Ryan Strange should have been in the squad, not Karacic. I don't think Karacic has been very good any time he's ever played for the Socceroos against decent level opposition. I think there was that one game he played really well against like Q8 or whatever. Um, I think he got like two assists against them when we like smashed them left, right and center. But Ryan Strange's in incredible form in Scotland right now. I think he's very, very stiff to miss out. Tom, do you think that like Karacic almost gets a bit of a free ride because like we just see that he plays in Italy and gets regular minutes and it's kind of like, oh, he must be good then without actually maybe looking further into what he does right and what he does wrong. Yeah, I think so. And whenever he's played for the Socceroos against decent opposition, he hasn't done a lot right. And if if you're playing at that level where it's Serie B, it's a decent level, right? Like It's probably a similar level to what Atkinson's playing at Hearts, except Atkinson's not really getting um, a lot of minutes at Hearts. So... It's like there's not a lot of great right backs in this country if we're looking at it right now. Like it's probably one of the weaker positions in our squad. I'd say I'd say left back's probably the weakest, and then probably right back, um, or even maybe vice versa. Um, so if you're Fran Karacic and you're not 
starting for Australia over Atkinson, who's not getting a lot of minutes at club level, he's been injured a bit, I think you, you, it sort of tells a bit of a story. Um, so, yeah, I, and I think Ryan Strain's been brilliant. Like, I think he's honestly so stiff to miss out. Um, but as Lucas has said in the past, he's not a great defender and will be doing a lot of defending against um, France and Denmark especially. And I wouldn't count Tunisia out. They've got some decent attacking players as well. So Kazri and Hanabal Mejbri, a lot of decent players in attack. So probably have to be on the top of our game defensively against them as well. Listen, you, you say we lack right backs, but if you ever watch me play for Blacksland All Age Men Division Seven on a Sunday morning, surely you'd know that I'd I'd be able to bloody put Dembele in my back pocket right there. So I'm a bit disappointed. I was waiting for the call. I was waiting. I was a bit disappointed not to get it. But um, 2026. I'll I'll, I'll start the training now for 2026. <laughs> oh, well, like Marco Tilio, mate, your time will come as everyone's saying at the moment. Um, we'll move on to the midfield. The first one we'll talk about is I don't know if it's a surprise right now, but I think if you had told us six months ago that this would happen, we'd all be very shocked, and it's that Tom Rogic won't be a part of the squad. Um, so once a star uh, now out of the squad, Pat, how do you feel about this? Yeah, honestly, I'm not too disappointed or shocked or angry about it just because, I mean, the we mentioned the top of the show, he, he was without a club for a while, and he's only really just starting to get minutes off the bench at... West Brom. And also, I mean, I'm not sure what you guys think, but I, I've never been too impressed by Tom Rogic with the soccer is. Maybe I just don't have the tactical mind to see it properly, but I just don't really think he fits in with the team and especially with the Graham Arnold team. And I mean, look, I know he gets memed for it a little bit, but he talks about Aussie DNA, about running, about being boxing, fighting, jumping kangaroos or whatever. But it's very clear that he wants hardworking players that can run for 90, 120 minutes so they can cover all the pitch. And Tom Rogic just isn't really that kind of player. And I wasn't really too impressed when he did play for us in the qualifier. So I really, I don't think it's that much of a shock. I know he's obviously, you know, he's been in Europe for years, been one of our better players when he's played domestically, but I just don't think he really fits into the team. And I'd I'd rather not have him at all than try to shoehorn him in there and then maybe mess up our midfield structure a little bit. Yeah. Um, does anyone else have any comments about yeah. Rogic? I, I think I think I'm ultimately not surprised that we came to this that Arnie came to this uh, decision in the end. I think the only surprising part about it was that obviously in the last week everyone had heard that that Rogic was a lock. Um, so I think that was more the surprising part about it um, on the day. Um, I'm a bit worried about what happens if Hrustic isn't fit. Arnie's described McGree as his back up, but I don't think McGree's quite got the passing range. And I think at midfield of Moy, uh, Irvine and McGree ultimately lacks a, a natural 10. And we don't, well, Hrustich is the only natural 10 in the squad. Um, but at the end of the day, we might, we not, not necessarily need it um, with the system that we're going to be playing. So ultimately I think it's probably the right call, but it's just the, the past week um, has made us think that, that he's in. I think um, another thing to add is that Moy's been playing more advanced for Celtic recently and he looks really good in that role. And I've been thinking about this myself as well. I think there's a lot of credence to the idea that we try and unleash Moy in a more attacking role. So as in if, if we're playing 4-3-3 like we have um, in a lot of the other games, 
um, specifically the UAE and Peru games, where especially against Peru, we played really well. Um, I think you could easily have Hrustich on the left, have Moy on the right, and then have someone like Cam Devlin sitting. Um, and I think that would actually work quite well, but I'm, I'm not sure. And that's where, just on your point, Lucas, I think if Hrustich were to go down, you could probably replace Hrustich. You, you could probably play Moy in the role that Hrustich has been playing on the right side of the three. And then have um, have Irvine come in there. So as in have Irvine and Devlin as the other two. Um, and I think that could ro- work because Moy is a versatile player. He can play at the base and he's shown for his club and shown in the past that probably his best football is played more higher up the pitch. So we've spoke a lot about the players that haven't been included. And before we get into the ones that have been, we've got one more name from that midfield that we didn't see on the on the squad sheet today that maybe a lot of us hoped we maybe maybe would, although that it was starting to look very unlikely. It's Christian Volpato. Uh, Graham Arnold said that he's um, happy to sort of give Volpato more time to think over that decision, but I'll level this to you, Tom. Do you think that this is sort of the end of thinking about Christian Volpato playing for the soccer? Is, is this, has he heard us enough here and also is he clearly shown he's not interested enough by not accepting the call at this time around or do you think maybe it could be revisited in the future no i think it's the end of him playing for the soccer is because i think he'll get called up to the italian team within the next couple months to be honest um you look at a lot of the players that have been selected for italy matteo cacciarelli um has played very similar amount of games as christian volpato is two years older hasn't scored as many goals and is got called up to italy recently you look at some of the other players, um, obviously Wilfred Nyonto is getting a lot of hype now that he's playing well for Leeds, but he got selected before he'd even played any games for Leeds and was playing at a much lower level for Zurich last season. Um, you look even elsewhere in the squad, Scalvini, uh, another very young player, has sort of done probably a lot more than Volpato has, but he's another young player who's getting called up. And there's several names, um, many of whom, like Cancirelli, um, have not done what Volpato has done at a senior level. And it's very, you need to take this in within the context of Volpato is Mourinho's first cab off the rank, off the bench to change the game in a derby della Capitale. One of the biggest derbies in world football against arch nemesis Lazio brings him on after 50 odd minutes. So uh, I think we're missing out on probably one of the best players we've produced this last sort of 10 to 15 years and it's unfortunate but it's his decision and ultimately he backs himself to make the Italian squad and I don't blame him he's doing such a good job at the moment his trajectory has been insane in terms of improving his improvement in the last six months if you'd watched him in Primavera and watching him now just seeing his growth as a player he's so much more mature he's so much more physical it's it's fair to say that this if this upward trajectory continues, then he'll just keep going from strength to strength. And Tony Basher told me that he's got the capability to be one of the best players in Serie A. And to be honest, I believe him. Like, if you look at players that have dominated Primavera as much as he did, like he was averaging either a goal or assist every game in Primavera. Zaniolo wasn't even averaging that. And Zaniolo is considered like one of the best young players in the world. If he didn't have that long-term injury, he'd probably be one of the best young players in the world or be, yeah, attracting even more attention than he already does. I think he's such an incredible player, Volpato. It's disappointing that he's not going to play for Australia, but 
it's his choice and I've got to respect his choice and I wish him all the best in the future because it, 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 we've got to take it as we develop this guy until the age of 16. There's positives out of that, but there's also the fact that he, he ultimately got the best out of his development by moving overseas. Um, so it's a very interesting situation, but I don't discourage him at all. Um, good luck to him. He's a great player and he would do very well for Italy, I'm sure. Well said. Um, we'll, we'll move on if everyone's happy to do that and talk about a couple of the sort of 50-50 calls in that midfield. Obviously, they ended up only taking six, which feels a little low. But um, So there was two young guys uh, that got selected, Keanu Bacchus and Cam Devlin, and they came over, um, Connor Metcalf and Dennis John Rowe, two other guys also playing in good leagues at the moment. Um, so, Lucas, how do you feel about you know the, those two being selected? Do you think that's fair? I think it's ultimately a reflection on pragmatism over trying to play in a more positive positive fashion. I think Jean Rowe uh, was poor um, the last time he played for the Socceroos um, and that ultimately cost him. And then I think, uh, as Tom touched on, uh, maybe ultimately Arnie thinks, well, if we are in a situation where one of Hustich or Irvine goes down, I'd rather move Moy forward than and have Bacchus or Devlin in there and then uh, play Conor Metcalf. Um, I think all these players are similar in ability, so I, I don't have too many qualms about it. I can't pretend that I've watched heaps of Bacchus plays in Scotland. Um, but uh, ultimately, I think it's probably the right call for the style of football we're going to need to play in these games. And I think anyone in football community will have people they know that follow the A-League but don't necessarily – or, sorry, follow the Socceroos but don't necessarily follow the A-League. And I've spoken to a lot of people today off the back of the announcement have gone, oh, this squad's terrible. Like, why have they selected such a bad squad? Well, I'm sorry to tell you, this is the best squad we have. Um, it's basically – a lot of it is six, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other because most of them are similar ability. Um, they're going to need a miracle to get something from this World Cup. Um, and I don't think taking Metcalf or John Rowe would make too much of a difference in all honesty. It's worth saying as well that um, Arnie, this was a question I actually asked Arnie at the press conference today, um, and it was about fr- framing it in the in the um, the context of Metcalf and John Rowe were two players that started every single game at the Olympics for the Ollie Roos. Devlin, I think, got like two minutes. I think Bacchus got like 30 minutes across the whole tournament. Now these two are players that uh, have leapfrogged Metcalf and Genre to the point where these two are getting picked for a World Cup squad. And I thought that was really interesting. So I wanted to know if that was a matter of, uh, of, of them getting more minutes or whether it was stylistic. And he said it was a bit of both because it's, he referred to Bacchus and Devlin as two sort of runners and fighters were the words that he used, runners and fighters. So they do a lot of running. They're going to firefight across the pitch. They're going to win duels. Whereas he referred to Metcalf and Genre as more ball-playing sort of centered players. And he said we need more of those fighters. He said we need 11 boxing kangaroos on the pitch in all of the games. Um, another Graham Arnold catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I think it is interesting. But it just goes to show that, when you're playing overseas and you're starting every week and playing well at a reasonable level, you'll get picked because Metcalf and Genro, to be honest, haven't been playing enough, even though that 
Um, most people would probably argue that technically wise, at least, they're definitely better players than Bax and Devlin. But Bax and Devlin have worked so hard and it's so their spots are so deserved. Um, really, really, really good on them both, honestly. And I think they'll, especially Devlin, I think will add a lot to the squad. Yeah. I mean, if, if we knew someone who um, uses many uh, cliches, Australian cliches as Graham Arnold, like he'd be in the squad straight away. He loves a cliche. <laughs> Someone's got to put a cap in his head the next time he says something like that. 11 boxing <laughs> kangaroos. Just get real. Anyway, we're going to move Harper, Harper versus Harper versus Graham oh, Arnold in a boxing that's a competition. Harper hates the cliche. He hates the cliche. <laughs> um, we're going to move on to the forwards and uh, we'll start with you, Pat, talking about uh, two really exciting selections out of the Central Coast. Um, Jason Cummings <laughs> and Garan Kual both selected to play. How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I think this is met with universal praise. I think everyone had a smile on their face as soon as they saw those two names on the team sheet. Just both wonderful stories in their own right. Garang Quoll, his family came came from South Sudan. They, you know, came here for a better life. They, he's 18 years old. He hasn't even started an A-League game yet, and he's off to a bloody World Cup. Like, and I will probably touch a little bit on the eight league games later on the weekend. He came off the bench and he completely changed the game for the Mariners. I'm I'm so excited to see him play because he's just a player that he makes people stand up. Like I remember the All Stars game a few months ago. That was a a dead game. Then this 18 year old kid that a lot of casual fans have never heard of, and he just has no fear. He'll just run it. Anyone and he makes people he, he scares the shit out of defenders first of all because they just don't know what to do. He just leaves them in two minds with everything. But he also just make he just he makes fans happy, makes them excited. It's just kind of he, he, he makes football simple again, and it's just brilliant to watch. And then obviously <laughs> Jason Cummings this time last year, there was no thought of him even being in the A League, let alone in the soccer or a World Cup. But he's just been an absolute revelation since he joined. He brilliant for the Mariners. He scored on debut against New Zealand and now he's in the squad. It's just, it's a meteoric rise and it's well-deserved for both of them. And I really hope they actually get some proper game time at this tournament. Yeah. And um, I mean, that, that's the thing that we, we do hope that they rotate the squad a little bit more. If you think back to 2018, when um, we played the same 11 for the three games, we've actually got, I feel like a few different ways we can play at this time. And like, Hopefully there is a game where Cummings could start. Maybe that's the Tunisian game or something like that where, where we can actually line up a bit more um, attacking. But uh, the, the one guy, you know, one end of the story we're seeing Cummings in, which is great, uh, Adam Taggart is left out. And it's one that's sort of gone under the radar a bit. Um, personally, I'm not too bothered with it. But do any of you guys feel it's a little bit harsh on Taggart to, to maybe miss out on a World Cup? I, I think um, that the emergence of Mitch Duke as a, in terms of, in Arnie's eyes, he's always been the main guy up front. But in his performances against New Zealand, I think, maybe cost Taggart a bit and how good Cummings has been as well. Um, I also think that there's a strong chance that Matthew Leckie will be used as striker because um, Arnie's done that quite a few times. Um, ultimately, I'm not surprised. And I think especially with the form that McLaren has been in as well, um, it's impossible to leave him out, and at the end of the day, we just have a few strikers who are, who are quite similar. So Taggart maybe doesn't have enough of a point of difference from the other forwards to to justify him going. Um, ultimately, I think this is the right call. Um, this is the three strikers that, that I had in my 
in my uh, hoped squad. Um, and obviously, you feel whenever any of these players miss out, but uh, I feel like Taggart. Thing is, though, that a lot of these players in a different scenario where we had a game beforehand where normally you get that squad of 30 and then cut it down to 23. Like, there's a lot of those line calls that would be down to a game like that and a week of training, but they haven't had that opportunity. So it's a, a lot harder to make the squad this time. Um, but ultimately, I think it's probably the right call. And I'm really excited to see uh, the come dog in Qatar. Everyone is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Fair enough. The, the the final thing on this before we give our predicted lineup for the game against France is, um, I suppose does everyone have one change to the side that they would have liked to see uh, if, if it was up to them. So Tom, we'll start with Davidson. You. Davidson over King, hundred percent. That would be the the one hundred percent change I'd make. Ty uh, Lucas, um, I'd hate to be boring and agree, but yeah, that's that's exactly what what I think. I think the Langerak. The Langerak one ultimately is a bit inconsequential. Um, So, yeah, I think Davidson um, in for King would be my main change. But the fact that neither of those guys are probably going to start probably shows that it's a a pretty decent squad. Pat? Yeah. Three from three for me. I've got to uh, agree with my two colleagues here. Come on. Okay. I'll I'll change it. I'll change it. Uh, Nestor Irukunda should have been called up. Oh my god! If you're if you're seriously one of those bozos from Adelaide who thinks Iran Kunda should have got picked up pick, picked instead of Garan Kwol, then just sorry. I I get in, I rate get in La Poubelle. I, I rate you one Iran Kunda, and I give you Zach Sapsford. How about that? <laughs> Watch your space on Zach Sapsford. That's all I'll say. We've got we've we've got a big yarn coming up on Zach Sapsford. One point five k words. It is. It's going to be. Massive. Yeah, very, uh, very exciting stuff there. But I don't know if maybe I'm being a little bit silly, but I thought that Lecky was one that I thought, does he really need to be selected? And if he's going to play up front, that's a different story. But I almost wouldn't have minded seeing Tilio um, over him. Uh, maybe that's a, a silly call, but I just feel like Lecky offers us pace, but we already have that from a number of other avenues, whereas Tilio gives us a bit more on the ball and, and a bit more excitement. I, I, I don't know if that's... A bit, a bit wild, or if, if Lecky's 100% earned that spot? Well, there's been a lot of talk about Tilio. To me, I, I, I've never really got it. Like he, He's come in, back into the team now. He's struggling to, for game time at City for the start of the season, not struggling in Europe. Um, he's going to be a great player for the future, but for me, the one guy out of the wingers that I was close to putting in was, was Daniel Azani. Um, just because I think he's got a little <laughs> bit more X-factor um, in the end. Probably the right call not to pick him, but he does interest me um, just because he's just a bit of a yeah, just a you don't really know what he's going to get from him. A bit of wild of a wild card, which I, I feel like we don't really have that outside of Grand Court. And Craig's a good one, of course. <laughs> first name on the, the team sheet, mate. You're first looking, name on the team sheet. <laughs> you criticise it, but <laughs> guess who's on my team? <laughs> Um, before we get into that lineup, one more I thought was a bit stiff. Massimo Luongo, what more can the man do? He's, he's been shafted out of two World Cup appearances and maybe this was his chance. But uh, nonetheless, we move on to the lineup against France. We'll get Tom to take the lead on this one and sort of bring out your lineup. And if anyone wants to contest some, some points, then we'll, we'll do that. Uh, I'm, 
I'm quite in two minds because I'll, I don't want to spend too long on, on this because I know I ramble a bit, but um, no, I, I end up just, I, I end up just, <laughs> I end up just thinking out loud Ed Sheeran style when I, when I go for this stuff. Um, and, and like the Socceroos, when your legs don't work like they used to before in the 85th <laughs> minute against France. And, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I'm caught in two minds because I think there's every suggest. Well, I think it's equally vindicated to suggest we should play four three three and take the game to them. But I also think France are fucking dog shit on the ball, especially if Rabiot starts in midfield. So I think <laughs> that is that um, is the most harsh thing for an Australian to say. France are dog shit on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They actually. They actually are. Deschamps. 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 Deschamps is like literally Ante Milicic two point oh. Like the the way the, the way that they won the World Cup was sitting deep and playing in transition. They had like thirty percent of the ball in the World Cup final. Granted, it was against like Brozovic, Modric, and Rakitic, who was like one of the best midfield threes we've seen in international football for a while. But still, like France are much better suited to when the like the game is in front of them. We had 45% of the ball last time against France. Like they're not a team that likes to have the ball. (laughs) The the misconception, I think there's a really strong misconception about that. And especially if Kamavanga doesn't play, because I think Chuameni is going to start with Rabiot in midfield, similar to how at the last World Cup, they played Tolisso in midfield and they played, um, they played Mbappe, no, they played Griezmann up top with Mbappe and Dembele on the wings, and then they played. They brought on Giroud, and the whole game changed. The whole game changed when they brought Giroud on, and they, were, they had the whole link up with Pogba playing the long balls and stuff like that. Then Giroud started every other game for the tournament and was one of the best players at the tournament. So the, just because he's a long ball threat for for, for France, um, so long winded answer. Anyway, I think there's credence to say so the we lineup, play Tom. Five, <laughs> yeah, so he's a goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's credence to say we should play five at the back, but I'm not going to go that that far because I haven't had enough time to think about it. So I'll say um, Ryan in goal, Atkinson right back, Rolls and Suto as a centre-back duo, presuming both are fit. Bayich at left back. Um, I'd, I'd stick the same midfield as Peru, so Moy, Irvine, Krustich and go Lecky, Cummings, and Boyle up top. Any objections? Uh, I have a couple. Um, I would go – I'm not a massive fan of starting both Sutar and Rolls back from injury, considering you've also got Atkinson, who's only a week back, back from injury. So I'm toying – I don't really like any of the centre-back options, I can't lie. I've put Bailey Wright in just because he's, he's playing regularly. Um, I agree Rolls is a better player, but I'm just a bit worried about having two guys so recently back from injury. The other one is Craig Goodwin um, on the left. He's Wait, probably left, the most – Left of back or left of wing? No, no, <laughs> left, left wing, left wing. Um, um, Craig Goodwin at left wing. Um, he's the most informed player in the entire squad. Um, and I, I would go Mitch Duke up front. I think Cummings um, – Runs him close, but I think Duke has performed recently for the Socceroos. So, yeah, I'd go off front three of Boyle, Duke, and Goodwin. Yeah, I think my, my only change from Tom's lineup is I've got Goodwin at um, left wing as well. I think Cummings and Quall can come off the bench to provide 
an impact if we're not down by three goals after half time. But um, yeah, I think it, it really, it really, again, assuming everyone does stay fit and that um, some of our bigger players don't have injury troubles, I think the, the team really picks itself. I think maybe a couple of alterations in midfield, but I think it's pretty straightforward, our best team and best system. Um, yeah, all right. Perfect, Laz. I'm not going to spend any more time. I, th- I think I'm pretty much... Uh, in line with Tom's. I wouldn't mind seeing a bill, but, I, you know, it's, it's a hard call. We're going to move on to Between the Lines, uh, a favorite segment of this show. We've just got one today, but I just hearing today in the press conference about Graham Arnold up at 11 o'clock texting Volpato filled my mind with a lot of ideas, and I'm hoping that you guys have got some similar ones. Does anyone want to kick us off with something that Graham Arnold might have said to Volpato over text at 11 o'clock last night? Look, I think my response is exactly what uh, Volpato said in response. Scene. (laughs) (laughs) I I would have thought a simple you up from Graham Arnold might have started the conversation at 11 o'clock. I I think, no, I think. How about about, do you want Danny Vukovic's nudes? (laughs) <laughs> I think I think Graham Arnold would have said I've downloaded Snapchat just to call you up to the squad surely that counts in my favour <laughs> another thing that Graham Arnold might have said to Volpato is I've been speaking to Tony Basher all week he's been telling me that you're not in you're not you're in you're not in need to get the final call <laughs> and then Volpato says Tony who <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good friend of yours, Tom. Time. That's very harsh. After <laughs> <laughs> uh, all he did for you. Well, that wraps up that segment. We're going to move in to the A League reviews and previews for the uh, the last weekend of A League before a World Cup break. Now, I will preface this by saying that Perth and Brisbane uh, are not featuring this week, obviously because they've got. So many players uh, coming up in the World Cup, but they just decided to give them the extra week's rest, which is obviously <laughs> makes plenty of sense. Um, so we'll first talk about the upcoming Sydney Derby, which is set to be a massive crowd. Some really big things happening with well, with Ninkovic. Um, Pat, as a Western Sydney fan, do you want to talk us through, firstly, last week's game and then maybe how you feel about the Derby? Oh look, I'd very happily just skim over last week's game, but that wouldn't my journalist my journalistic integrity be questioned there. So I'll, I'll spend some time on it. Look, I think Rudin said it himself in the post match press conference. They just got outplayed by a better team on the day. I think the first half, the Mariners were the ones creating the chances. They having a lot of joy down the Damachiro's left hand side, but. Even still, the wonder is the possession was even, the shot count was even. The wonder is still kind of pressing and had a bit of a coherent shape. So even though they weren't creating much, there was still kind of in it. It was still a bit of a level contest. Then at halftime, Rudin changes to a three at the back, puts Borello at left wing back, brings Tongik on for his second debut for the Wanderers. They didn't settle. It just didn't work. The, te- the, the rhythm was kind of lost. And then as soon as Garan Qual came on, dispossessed Tongik and they scored from that. The Wanderers just unfortunately kind of collapsed a little bit and the Mariners ran away with it, and deservedly so. They were absolutely excellent. There wasn't a bad player on the team. I know a lot of people are talking about Cummings and Quoll, but one person I want to bring up is, uh, I think, 18-, 19-year-old Nectar Triantis at centre-back. I spent a lot of time covering him when he was at the Wanderers early in the season in their youth team. He's a phenomenal prospect. He's got all the tools to be a top, top centre-back and maybe in future World Cup squads, who knows, but I'm... 
Yeah, look, a bad night at the office for the, the Wanderers, their first loss of the season, and it makes this week really, really important because even though they're third on the table, the vibe's a little bit weird around them. I think a loss against Sydney in this derby, I think it would kind of change the whole mood, especially considering that I have to stew on the loss for three weeks. But just on the game as a whole, it's just a massive game. It's set to be a huge crowd. Sydney are also coming off a loss, which I'm sure we'll discuss in a second. So I think both teams really need to win. I think both managers really need to win. And I'm just so excited to be there. I can't wait for a brilliant atmosphere like we've seen, you know, six, seven years ago when the derby was at its peak. And I think the league the league really needs it. A bit like the Melbourne Victory Wanderers game a few weeks ago, the Melbourne derby a few weeks ago. It's these big games. These are the games to get the casuals back. This is what separates us from all the other codes. So I just hope it's an absolutely brilliant game. Yeah, um, We'll get on to Sydney now. It was a bit of a shock loss in some regards, losing 3-1 to Brisbane. But I guess that defense that they brought to the game, that they were always going to struggle, especially against the likes of Charlie Austin. Uh, Tom, did you, you catch that one? Yeah, I did. Um, the start of this game, Sydney were so bad. I reckon it was maybe the worst 15 to 20 minutes I've seen from a team in the A-League this season, maybe. that like They were completely outplayed by a Brisbane team that struggled for a lot of this season. And I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that they, um, they're they really short at centre-half. Obviously, with Wilkinson out, I think Donerke was injured as well, I want to say. Um, so they started Gerd and Vlastelitsa at centre-back. And um, Vlastelitsa, obviously a great graduate from my favourite club. Um, but... <laughs> but um, but he was he was rubbish as well. He gave away a really bad pen by just biting on a tackle that he did not need to um, when Austin took a touch and then the touch was way too heavy and he just comes in and sides him down. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a really poor start from Brisbane. Sydney grew into the game a bit, but I think Charlie Austin just overpowered the two centre-backs with his experience. He obviously missed that pen, but... Um, the, the way he took the first goal was good. Um, thought he had a, probably the best game he's played, even dropping deep. The, the defenders just couldn't touch him, to be honest. He had, he had a really good game. Yeah, look, I, don't get me wrong. As much as I'd love to stick the boot in completely to Sydney FC, they, they've got a lot of injuries to centre half at the moment, which really <clears throat> don't help. But that said, their whole team defended bad. It wasn't just at centre half. The whole team was defending terribly. The first two goals, I mean, the first goal came with that freak. There was... The free kick that was blocked or something, the whole team was just flat-footed. No one reacted to it. The penalty was exactly the same. The third goal, even though it was a brilliant goal by it, was it Courtney Perkins or Brindle South? Um, Brindle South. Thunderbolt of a goal, but there's no pressure on him. So, look, I understand Look, it's difficult to send it back when you've had like four or five different combinations in the season, including a debutant and a youth player. But the whole team was defending terribly, which suggests more it's in the tactical setup. So I think... If I was a Sydney FC fan, that would have rung alarm bells for me just for how bad the team defended as a whole. I think um, one thing which sort of pissed me off with this game as well was that Wood and Segacic got put, like um, got hooked at halftime. I think it was – I feel like to basically insinuate that the two young kids were the reason that you had, had a shit first half was – Pretty poor, to be honest. I feel like he scapegoated them a bit with that. Um, they were better in the second half until the red card. But, um, yeah, I would have liked to see them sort of stay on the pitch, have a bit more belief in the kids. Um, yeah, and, and who knows, I guess, what they're going to line up with on uh, Saturday when the derby's on. But I, I think the good thing about derby is it's always a bit of a, 
reset. Um, where, where you know, no matter how they're going on the table, that it's always going to be an interesting game. And uh, we'll move on to the other really big game uh, on Friday night. Lucas, your boys uh, take on the victory in the original rivalry. Should be an exciting game. Victory have sold four bays of, of tickets as well, so it's going to be a cracking game. Um, firstly, their win on on uh, Sunday against Western United. How did you say that? I actually think that West United Adelaide United game was it was exciting. Obviously, a lot of action end to end, but it was one of the lowest qualities, lowest quality uh, quality games I've ever seen in the A League. There were so many individual errors, so many defensive mistakes. Leo Lacroix with another own goal. It was just, and but just in the midfield, both teams were just so sloppy on the ball. Um, I don't think it was. It was one of those games where people will call it a thriller because there's a lot of goals, but it was actually just end to end and the mistakes at either side and no fluidity. But um, obviously, a, a pretty um, awful first half hour from West United, even though they were good for the first five or five six minutes, um, just was enough to see Adelaide off. But for this weekend, um, similar to what Pat said about um, Sydney. Derby. These are the, the games that draw people in. It's the first uh, night game at the new and improved Homash Stadium. Um, victory bringing all the fans across a lot of, I, I expect there'll be a pretty big crowd and there's nothing like Homash Stadium on on a, on a night game when it's a, when it's a decent crowd because it's, it's a proper football ground. Um, it'll be interesting to see Craig Goodwin speaking to the media tomorrow. It'll be interesting to see if he gets rested because I wouldn't be surprised if a few of the Socceroos boys this weekend um take a rest because I know if I was in that position, I'll, I'd be wanting it too. Um, that will be a massive difference because Adelaide are so reliant on Goodwin. And uh, I think for victory, um, they've been so inconsistent. They looked a different side on again on Friday night, but they've seen been so up and down this season. You don't really know what you're going to, what you're going to get at the moment. So um, I think these are two pretty even sides and it's going to be another they've, they've uh, scheduled the season well to have these two massive games right before we go off to the World Cup is uh, is pretty exciting should be a great round of, of the A-League yeah they are really setting us up for to, to sort of miss the league while it's gone by giving us these crackers right at the end and I am glad that they've especially for the Sydney Diver they've, they've given us a few weeks to let the team settle and, and so these games especially should be um, absolutely cracking but um, I suppose in the in the wash up of all of that, um, talking about Adelaide and their big win. Sorry, a couple of days prior, Victory also had a massive win. Tom, uh, were you at this one? I was, and um, it was a sort of smaller crowd than we've seen in the the first two home games for Victory. But that's to be expected when we had a re- really good turnout against Wanderers and a really good turnout, obviously, for the Melbourne Derby. Um, I think it still cracked around thirteen k, and the atmosphere was pretty good. And it was good to see Victory. Um, back on the winners list. I think we needed a bit of luck on our side. I think a lot of A-League games are dictated by who scores the first goal and that sort of, um, it sort of de- is, is the, the decisive factor which just determines how a team approaches the rest of the game. So the victory, obviously, scoring that first goal, which was, to be honest, quite uh, quite a lucky pen, I think we can we can say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, given the things that have happened to victory in the recent weeks, I think they needed a bit of luck. Um, so once they got that bit of luck, um, they sort of just didn't look like they were going to turn back against Newcastle. And I don't think victory were even particularly amazing. Like it wasn't 
like we were swashbuckling with the ball or anything. Like we actually struggled to play through their press on on a few occasions. But as soon as we just played balls over the top of their fullbacks, we were just dominant. Like because Newcastle was so bad, they were really really bad. Like they they were pushing everyone forward, and we were just literally knocking the ball over the top and we're literally like threw onto their goalkeeper like so often. Um, and I thought Nani had a really good game. It was easily the best game I think he's had for, for victory so far. Um, and I think that makes sense when, you, when you're playing against a team that's coming so far up the pitch. He just has so much more space. 1v1 against McGarry, he was destroying him um, and just every single time had him on skates basically, which is why he got subbed off at halftime, I guess. Um so yeah, it was it was much better signs from victory, but it's going to be a much tougher test away at Adelaide this weekend. Um, we always know that we're in for a good fight against Lucas's men, so um, hopefully that'll be a good game. It'll be a good spectacle with a good crowd, um, but I'll definitely be hoping that victory will be will remain on the winners list after um, after a good result. One team that hasn't been on the winners list yet, and we'll go back to what we're saying with Adelaide. It's Western United who have been pitiful in the opening uh, five rounds and it's so crazy because when we spoke about this preseason it was like they've got a championship team and they've strengthened it what's happened to them and uh and i guess where can you go from here tom i actually want to ask you a specific question before you you get into it leo lacroix has come back a completely different player is it a case of do you put him on the bench or is it one of those things where because you know how good his best can be do we just sort of try and let him work it out or, or what What would you do in that situation? I think if Imai was fit, you'd bench him. But I think just because of Western United having a lot of sort of defensive injuries there, I think Topol Stanley's still suspended for a couple games. If I'm, I think he got suspended for three, right? So, yeah. So he's still out. So it, it, it doesn't really leave them with a lot of choice in that in that area, really. I think Collins could probably, is Collins still there? I think. Yeah, so he's really the only other option along with Trapp. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't think you're going to be starting a centre-back duo of Collins and Trapp at A-League level. So I think you've sort of got to play him through it. But the thing with Lacroix is that I think a lot of it's attitude, to be honest. Like, I've heard a few different things about Lacroix. We saw um, quite a reliable account on Twitter, um, Aussie Scout, talking about um, Lacroix potentially... Um, sort of wanting to go overseas and not being granted that. I've heard similar sort of stuff, um, mainly actually concerning how much he's being paid at Western United and potentially um, wanting to get a bit more cash elsewhere. But um, I think when, you, when you're when you in a player's – when a player has something going on in his head, it's a lot harder to fix um, because you can't just flick a switch and then he becomes the player that he was last season. And I think the root cause of – a lot of Western United's issues has been this off-field stuff. When you've got Lacroix off-field stuff happening, when you've got Priovic, I don't know if people have spoken about that, but there's been off-field stuff happening with him, obviously, um, in the off-season and coming back and now he's not playing, which is um, obviously bizarre. So I think a lot of it stems from that, but also because of that off-field stuff, it means that Western United can't play in the same way that they played last season because the way that you play it 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 was so reliant on having that stout, disciplined, resolute and compact rear guard that we're seeing with Pat's Wanderers this season. And I think 
um, given Lacroix is so out of form, you, you can clearly see that they can't play in that same way because they're not as strong at the back. Whereas the Wanderers have Marcelo, who's basically mm-hmm. what Lacroix was last season. And we've seen, apart from the game on the weekend, they've been phenomenal defensively. It looked like no one could break them down. So I think that's where the Western United's issues lie. Not sure if it'll improve. I hope it does because they've got a really good team on paper. Um, it's just a matter of getting all their players to sort of be on the same page and play with the same togetherness and spirit that they showed last season. Yeah, and I think obviously it was, you know, Prijevic carried the attack, Lacroix and, you know, Imai carried that defence. And I think both areas of those pit, that pitch struggling is really exposing their midfield now, which last – look, the midfield, if you know, it's Lustica, it's – Kilkenny, it's very workmanlike, and it can kind of work in a system where your defense excels and your attack excels. You kind of have that midfield just to kind of a bit of a cog in the machine to keep it going. But now that's all kind of faltering. You need your midfield to stand up. You need your midfield to take control of games to be the game changers. But this that midfield there, it isn't that. And then I know they signed Troisi, which again, as a wondrous fan, I had to watch him for a couple of seasons. All I'll say is it was a, an interesting call at the time, and I think it's all proving to be exactly like that because it's clearly not working. I know, look, Diamante's still injured. I don't know how much game time he's going to play. He's barely played. So it's just, yeah, I think their midfield's been really badly exposed. I think if you look at, I mean, if you look at the Premier League, you look, Chelsea's midfield struggling at the moment. They're struggling. Liverpool's midfield struggling at the moment. They're really struggling. So you really live and die by your midfield. Well, Diamante is coming back. He played, he's been, he played five minutes a few weeks ago. He played 30 on the weekend. But um, I think you're almost better off looking at Bozanovsky, who's so highly rated in the Australian youth ranks, and then Milanovic, who's averaging a goal every 45 minutes. So there's other options there as well. But to, to, to speak about that midfield, they did sign Tongo Dumbia, who would have probably been the guy to control the midfield a bit. And then he was looking really good. His second appearance off the bench, he's, he's done a high-grade hamstring. So it feels like nothing can go right for them at the moment. And um, I think the break is going to do them a world of good to maybe uh, – uh, you know, sort sort some stuff out. But anyway, we, we've already run quite a bit of time in this one and I think we're going to cap it there uh, if everyone's happy to do that. It was uh, a pleasure to sort of uh, be live for this episode and uh, and for me to host this one was a lot of fun. So um, I hope you guys all enjoyed it and if you're listening on the broadcast or on the, on the uh, non-stream version tomorrow, um, yeah, we hope you enjoyed it as well and, and we've got plenty of stuff planned for the, uh, for the World Cup Um you know, I don't think it's all been announced yet, but it's, it's going to be very good and very hectic. So um, stay tuned. And, and uh, yeah, thanks, lads, for joining me tonight. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for the call-up. Always a pleasure. See you, lads.